The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. It sure is, and welcome to it. Uh, we're ready to go if you are. It's John Scholes here again hosting, and my good pal Chris Justice, courtesy of Sam Fury to Mark and LLP, is doing all the heavy lifting tonight on the show, and the main topic in just a bit is going to be you are still owed severance if we'll get to those talking points in just a minute. But, Chris, always we start off with uh, something that's happening on your end, pal, case of the day. What do you say? Yeah, absolutely. So I figured I would uh, bring up a case that came across my desk, so to speak, not too long ago. And it had to do with an individual who was facing some pressure from his employer to actually resign, to quit his job. And unfortunately, I, I see this a lot where for one reason or another, employers are going to employees and applying some pressure and saying, you know, look, if you quit, we'll, we'll give you a little bit of money, you know, you mm-hmm. sign this piece yeah. of paper, or if you quit, we won't pursue, you know, something that we had in mind on our end, maybe, you know, going after them for a, for a dismissal of some sort or putting them on a performance improvement plan or whatever. Like I say, there's various situations where this pressure ends up getting applied. And um, as I said, an example the other day where, an individual was pressured to resign. There was a breach of the code of conduct, and um, he was wondering, you know, what grounds he has to resign or what his entitlements would be in that case. And you just never want to resign uh, in general without first getting some legal advice. But people also need to understand that um, a resignation is something that's completely voluntary. It's unequivocal. It's clear. It's something that you, as the employee, have control over. So when it right. comes to yeah, when it comes to employers putting pressure, putting the proverbial gun to somebody's head and saying, you need to quit or else, uh, that just sort of doesn't hit on any of the key aspects of what a true resignation is. And in a lot of these situations, I tell people, don't just buckle in, don't resign, don't don't sort of, like I say, buckle under the pressure, get some legal advice. And, and ultimately, you want to say, for the most part, that you're not resigning, that if they're going to do whatever they're going to do, let them do it. But you don't want to be resigning as a response to pressure being put on that. And frankly, companies don't want to or shouldn't um, put pressure on employees to resign because even if a resignation comes along the way, uh, it's going to be generally very hard for them to rely on it if there's all this evidence of duress. So I thought, you know, this was a good uh, example of a case that, as I say, comes up a lot on my end. And again, people just need to know, you know, don't resign. Say that you're going to do your job. You're going to do your job as best as you can. And then if something happens after, if the company takes action, you know, we can deal with it at that point. You know, it's interesting, too, because you and I have had this conversation and sometimes Mm -hmm. people will think wrongfully that, oh, well, gee, you know, I'm giving you opportunity here. It's better to resign than have been, quote unquote, fired because that Mm -hmm. fired will go on my permanent record and everybody in the world will see it. That's not the case, is it? Yeah, no, not at all, not at all. No, you're completely right. I mean, sometimes people will resign because they feel as though it it kind of puts them in a better light. Maybe they can explain things to an employer better, a prospective employer better. 
But the fact of the matter is that, you know, terminations happen for all sorts of reason and reasons. And for the most part, it doesn't mean something happens, happened in bad faith. It doesn't mean it's through any fault of your own. Like these are, this is just unfortunately part and parcel with employment itself. And it shouldn't generally reflect poorly if, say, you're let go to do restructuring or you're let go on a without cause basis. Yeah. So as much as you might think there may be benefits to saying, oh, I resigned, I left on my own will to a prospective employer, you're also potentially foregoing tens of thousands, if not more, in money that you would be owed as far as severance if the employer does just ultimately cut to the chase and take the action themselves and let you go. Okay, let's get into this before we uh, take a, a short break here. You are still owed severance if, number one, you work for a small business with only a few employees. A lot of people don't think that. Yeah, and just before we get into it, a lot of people think that there are a number of reasons that they may not be owed severance. Um, working for a small business with a few employees is one huge misconception, uh, something I've personally dealt with for a number of years. It, you know, this, this advice applies pretty much across the country, uh, barring Quebec, um, but yeah, severance applies to very large companies in the same way as it applies to very small companies. It doesn't matter if the company has two employees or 2,000. If you're being let go, you are generally going to be entitled to severance. The, the factors that determine how much severance someone should get do not include the size of the company, at least not when we're talking about someone's full common law severance entitlements. You know, these things being your age, the length of time you had with the company, the position that you held with the company, you know, what kind of uh, uh, jobs are out there available if you get let go that would be comparable to the job that you lost. You know, these are the main factors that the courts look at when it comes to severance, not the size of the company. You know, a lot of people think, oh, if they don't have a payroll of this certain size, yeah. that I'm not owed oh. severance, or maybe I'm not owed as much severance. But again, that's just not what's factored in. And whether you work for a small mom and pop shop or you work for a big company, say like Walmart, um, you know, your severance entitlements are still generally going to be the same and can, as many listeners know, be upwards of 24 months of severance. And with that uh, warmed up nicely, we'll get into one small break and get right back to it. Email help at employmentlawyer.ca. And you can always use the website anytime, like right now, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca as well. We'll continue. Lots more of the Employment Law Show is coming up. Hang on. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. You sure are. John Scholes, Chris Justice is here. Sam Fury to Market LLP after the show. Anytime you can always reach out to Chris with questions. If you want more of a uh, one-on-one private chat, no problem. one 821 5900 and that email again, help at employmentlawyer.ca. As we continue to work down our list here, uh, you are still owed severance if. Number two, this one, a lot of confusion. And the wording alone confuses people, Chris, so we'll break it down. If you are in a federally regulated business or the construction industry, break that down for me. Yeah, so again, people assume or or maybe they've read up somewhere online or, or heard from a friend of theirs that there are these different, these majorly different rules that apply if someone's in a federally regulated business or if they're in a construction type position. 
when the reality is that the vast, vast majority of these cases, whether you're in federally regulated business or construction, vast majority of these cases, you lose your job, uh, you're going to be owed severance. You know, in terms of the federally regulated aspect, uh, again, people think that if they are working for a federally regulated employee, they're going to get less severance at the very least, you know, maybe only a couple weeks of pay, but this is just simply wrong. It's not true. Um, the same rules apply. Again, I mentioned earlier things like your age, your position, how mm -hmm. long you've been at a company, what other work is out there. These are still the main factors that determine someone's severance, regardless of whether they're at a federally regulated employer or a provincially regulated employer. And then with respect to the construction thing, you know, that's another big one, another big misconception. Um, I mean, I myself face it all the time. You know, if there's any little connection company or or anything at all just the most tenuous of connections the employer immediately says oh they're a construction employee they're not entitled to anything yeah. and you know they're probably telling their employees this so it's just not the case again you're entitled to severance maybe as a construction person you may not have overtime in the same way but when it comes to these as an example anyways but when it comes to the full severance entitlements you still are entitled to that and it's still as much as 24 months um and, and i will say this is all assuming it's a non-unionized position mm -hmm. but again either yeah. way you're going to be looking at your full severance uh, entitlements there so as far as that stuff's concerned what's the dividing line between federally and provincially regulated why does it matter where's the difference yeah, you know what? I mean, there are uh, there are certain aspects of the legislation with respect to what your bare minimum severance rights are, uh, uh, that there are some differences between provincial and federally regulated. But a lot of people have this misconception that what the legislation says, for example, what the Employment Standards Act says or the Canada Labor Code says, means that that's all I'm entitled to. When, um, with respect to today's conversation, we're looking at someone's full severance rights, not just the bare minimums. And when it comes to that aspect, either way, it's going to be the same. <laughs> we were talking about times you're still owed severance if, and this one here, you were laid off due to a, uh, I don't know, restructuring, maybe bad performance or the economy for that matter, right? Yeah. So again, some people think that, oh, they've let me go in good faith. You know, it's nothing bad faith. There's no ulterior motive. They're saying the, the company wasn't doing as well. It seems legitimate. Seems like they're doing really bad. Maybe the finances aren't where they used to be. And so they let me go. And then the person on their way out thinks that somehow that absolves the company from having to pay you or, or maybe uh, gives them a bigger leg to stand on when it's in terms of paying you less. But, you know, the law is what the law is, restructuring, bad performance, economy, you're still going to be looking at your full severance rights. And in fact, when it comes to a bad economy, as we saw this with the pandemic, um, if an employee can show that the economy after their, them being let go is particularly bad, uh, very uh, much less in terms of opportunity in the industry they work out of, you can actually see severance go on an upward swing and, and actually have a bit of a bump extra on top of what your severance is owed for things like uh, COVID or maybe the economy being bad. So actually, when it comes to the economy issue, you can get more severance usually than less. And so again, another reason why this is a miss, uh, a huge misconception rather. Now, kind of branching off of that point you just made, Chris, where is the the, the difference between, you know, just being let go or, uh, you know, we're not doing too well, so we're not going to give you severance versus we're going bankrupt? Yeah, so um, a lot of times, frankly, I hear uh, that there are rumors in a particular situation regarding bankruptcy. A lot of people come to me and they're worried, like, hey, Chris, what happens if the company goes bankrupt? Or I'm hearing that maybe they're selling the business. Do I get less there? Um, 
for the most part, when I hear these things, it doesn't actually turn out to be true as far as the company going so far as filing for bankruptcy or filing for creditor protection. But there are nonetheless some rare occasions where the company is truly bankrupt, did actually file for creditor protection. And in those cases, a lot of times what you have to do is deal with the insolvency or the bankruptcy trustee on the matter and kind of track the matter along until funds are ultimately distributed. Because what's going to happen is if a company files for creditor protection, a lot of times the assets are going to get sold off. They're going to get dispersed to some of the, say, the most prioritized creditors. I mean, right. oftentimes the bank is an example. And then you're having to kind of sort of, like I say, track the matter along and find out at the end of the day how much money's left. You know, is there anything for my client? What's what's there? Because a lot of times people seeking severance, you know, in terms of their place in the line, so to speak, when it comes to these bankruptcy issues, they're going to be lower on the on the spectrum than, um, like I guess, say, a prioritized creditor that might be like a bank or, or something along those lines. So it's not to say that they're dead to rights, that they don't have options. It's just a matter of, you know, when everything is said and done, you know, what is left to be distributed. And if there is enough left, then, of course, these people are entitled to their severance. And if there's nothing left, there are also protections afforded through government where they can at least get their bare minimum rights, may not be their full severance rights. Yeah. But, yeah, these, these situations can definitely be complicated and um, obviously would require some legal advice going forward. Another example, you still owed severance if uh, you were let go due to a medical reason. How about that one? Yeah, so there are definitely situations where maybe you have sustained an injury in the workplace or outside of the workplace and you just simply can't work. You know, you take a medical leave of absence, you're off for a little bit, um, maybe you're hoping to get better, make a full recovery, return to work, but then on your road to recovery, on your way back, you are informed that you're being let go while off on a medical leave of absence. And as bad as the optics would look and do look in a situation like that, um, still, I do see employers do this. Um, and actually, if you are let go while you're off on a medical leave of absence, you know, depending on what the nature of your disability or your condition is, you may not actually be able to go back to that job or any job for that matter at the time that you're let go. And that could potentially work in your favor because if you get let go and you're not even physically able to take on another job, of course, it's going to take you longer in theory to find work. And that could actually result in you getting more severance at the end of the day. Not to mention, as I say, the optics of letting somebody go while off on a medical leave of absence are terrible and could expose the employer to not just having to pay somebody's full severance rights, but actually um, pay other forms of compensation for things like human rights violations or concerns if there are some. Because, you know, if it weren't for that person going off on the medical leave, you know, I always ask myself, would this have happened? And if the answer is no, or if the answer is at least 1% of the reason why they lost their job had to do something to do with their medical leave of absence or their condition, again, that's when uh, there could be a very clear human rights violation and, and the employer is going to be in a lot of hot water there. Now, it's even more so if it's a parental leave, right? Big no-no. Yeah, yeah. Parental leave, uh, yeah, like a maternity leave, uh, paternity leave, uh, medical leave of absence. I mean, there could be a whole host of different types of leave that actually have uh, are job-protected leaves that are that are enforced through legislation, not to mention the law, you know, in a broader aspect. So, um, yeah, like you say, just, just more hot water, opening a real can of worms there and and, and just being exposed to, to a law if you're on the employer side of things. We were talking about times when you could still be owed severance. This one, we get all the time and hear about it. You're incorrectly called maybe a contractor or an independent contractor, stuff like that, right? 
Yeah, like you say, very common, very common situation. A lot of confusion on both the employer side as well as the employee side. You know, individuals, workers being misclassified um, could be through ignorance of the employer or the employee, uh, or it could be intentional that that they're trying to, you know, place a certain label on somebody, trying to do certain things with a view of, you know, if they have to get rid of them later on, trying to avoid all their obligations. But the majority of time, whenever people think that they're an independent contractor, they're actually employees when it comes to the law's perspective, because it's not you or the employer that's going to decide what you should be classified as. It's the law, and the law is going to look at things like, you know, do you go to work every day? Do you Are you working on a consistent basis? You know, does your employer subject you to certain forms of control, maybe by the way of performance review or giving directions? Do you rely on the company financially? You know, does it make up a big chunk of your of your income. You know, these are just examples of factors that the law will look at when trying to figure out, you know, is this relationship really your standard employee-employer relationship? Because if so, then arguably you're entitled to things like overtime and holiday pay and uh, vacation as well, not to mention the most important is severance. Um, or is the relationship more like, you know, this is one uh, employer working out of a, maybe a group of 20 and, and you don't really adhere to any specific rules other than your own and you're sort of this, you know, more truly independent contractor. Because those scenarios are very, very rare in my experience. So, yeah, it's just this misclassification happens far too often. And in the most in most cases, these people are owed severance, whether they're um, called a contractor or not. And there's actually... Um, a, a hybrid category between a con an independent contractor and an employee that's called a dependent contractor. Mm -hmm. So it could actually be the case that you're a contractor and you're still owed severance as long as you're what they call a dependent contractor. So whether you're in that kind of a scenario or category or you're more of a true um, sort of typical employee, um, you know, those those groups of people are going to be owed severance. And, it, and it's a big deal because obviously the difference between what an independent contractor would get, which if you're truly one is nothing potentially, and an employee would get, which is upwards of two years, uh, again, just kind of goes to show how important it is to sort of flesh these details out. But a lot of times, uh, again, people incorrectly assume that they, there may be a contract calling them something and then they don't even end up speaking to a lawyer. So I can yeah. only imagine for everyone I talk to, there's probably three, four, five, six, seven people that just go on about their days, not thinking anything of it. And yeah, unfortunately, foregoing their, their potential entitlements there. That dependent contract you mentioned, kind of that third mm. category, is it a threshold of how much of your income you're, you're dependent on one client to say? Yeah, there's no exact number, I would say, but once you start looking at, okay, how much money am I getting from this particular company? If, if it's constituting half of your income or more than half of your income, I mean, that's a massive amount. And to lose something like that, I mean, you're, you're taking a huge hit there. So I think once you start to get into that territory, you as the worker or the employee or the dependent contractor can, um, I think, more appropriately argue that you are financially dependent. So it, it, there is a, a bit of a, a range depending on yep. the circumstances. But um, look, I mean, there are employees who have three part-time jobs 
And just because you are a part-time employee with three different companies doesn't also mean you're not technically an employee. And so the That's same right. sort of logic very well can apply to this sort of quote-unquote contractor type situation. And by the way, if you're not sure whether you uh, what category you may fall into, if it's not 100% clear, again, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. There's a description right there. Am I a contractor or independent contractor? It'll break it down nicely for you and clear up any, uh, any confusion. Again, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. Um, how about casual workers? What is a casual worker or a temp worker? We've heard that a lot lately, especially in the current job market. Break that down. Yeah, so obviously there are employment rights for a number of different categories of workers and including uh, temporary and casual workers. A casual worker, I would say, is, is usually somebody who is uh, an employee of a given company, but maybe they don't have a set schedule. Um, maybe they have a little bit less in, in terms of benefits being provided, um, but still somebody who works hours, even sometimes on a weekly basis. And a temporary worker oftentimes is something where you're associated with a staffing agency where somebody, let's say, uh, gets, you know, sort of technically employed through a staffing agency, but ends up working for a different client of the staffing agencies. So right. maybe that one of the staffing agency's clients is, um, you know, BMO. Uh, uh, you may be getting paid by the staffing agency, but day to day you're interacting with people from BMO or from TD or from any company for that matter. And a lot of times people think that because you're getting paid from one and doing work for the other, that there's somehow a difference there. But um, again, in general, these workers, temporary or casual, are still going to be often afforded the same rights as your as your usual employees. The big term we've heard in the last few years is this gig economy, right? The gig economy, worker mm -hmm. rights. What are those? Is are they? Are, is there any for that, those people? Yeah, absolutely. So the gig economy, you know, you've got companies like Uber, DoorDash, you know, just the the evolution, I guess, of the economy of workers of of work in general. You know, you've got all these sort of hybrids or these uh, types of jobs that um, are classified in ways that historically haven't been classified in that way. Um, a lot of times these companies such as Uber and DoorDash um, may view their employees as independent contractors that in this gig economy, you know, we're not offering you, quote unquote, you know, regular employment, but it's this other type of employment. But again, you know, regardless of what the company is, if you're being sort of classified as an independent contractor or you're being told that in the event that you're let go, you're not going to get anything like a normal employee would. I mean, that should be ringing alarm bells. And at the very least, you should be getting some legal advice. Um, because again, there's this misclassification issue where these gig economy workers are being called something with a view of maybe avoiding paying them things that they're, they're otherwise owed. And again, most importantly, often is the severance aspect. Yeah, that seems to be a very common thing with, I mean, some of the ones you just mentioned there, some are in the news actually, and uh, some are a little mm -hmm. more severe than others, but everyone just assumes that if, you know, you're, you're basically an independent contractor, if you're working for one of these companies and if you decide to quit or if they don't need you anymore, off you go. And you get nothing, like uh, they just assume that's right, right? Yeah, yeah. But again, if you sort of assess the situation, you realize, well, hold up a minute. <laughs> I'm being called a gig worker or an independent contractor, but I'm working nine to five. I'm only working for this company. This is my full-time job. Gotcha. Um, yeah. You know, you look behind these labels into the relationship and you find out, actually, when I look at the relationship between me and the company, it is more like your typical employee-employer relationship. And that should, as I say, raise some alarm bells get you start to thinking and you know hopefully prompt you to get some legal advice so that you're well aware of your rights and entitlements going forward.
And that is it with Chris for a night. You want to reach out afterwards now, 1-855-821-5900. Help at employmentlawyer.ca and the website anytime, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca as well. We'll catch you next time in the Employment Law Show. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. Up on the-